Thanks for listening to Cato Sports. I hope you enjoy the pod. Give it a follow. Share it with your mates. I appreciate the love. This is Cato Sports. Let's go! Welcome into the pod. It's Cato Sports coming at you as always live on a Tuesday, May 16th, in studio today, down at the Commons. Um, really pumped up for this episode. It was just a it was just a fascinating week of football. And I'm really excited to bring you all nine games covered in today's episode. Um, I think there was just, you know, a a lot of movement. And to start the episode off, I just wanted to talk a little bit about how the ladder is structured up at the moment because I just think it's going to be a absolute belter of a season is going to have a cracking finish. And I think the ladder right now is is worth talking about. So uh, the way I see it, there's four teams that are better than everyone else just, just as it is, and they're the top four, and then there's four teams that are worse than everyone else. So you've got the Harley Reid Cup boys, and then you've got the contenders. So Collingwood, Melbourne, Brisbane, Port, they'll probably pay, play finals. They're playing really good football at the moment. You know, ins and outs aren't really mattering too much. They're able to get wins on the board. As for the bottom guys, well, they can't kick goals. They can't string plays together. They can't defend the ground. Hawthorne, West Coast, North Melbourne, GWS, I think GWS is a little bit harsh to be put in that conversation because they're, they're okay, but especially those other three, they're not playing finals in 2023. I think we all know that. But there's 10 teams in between there, and there's only four spots in the eight available for 10 teams. Now, history would tell us, history would tell us that there's four teams that are going to make it and six teams that aren't. The four teams that are going to make it have four premiership coaches at the helm right now. Geelong, Richmond, Sydney, and the Dogs. They all have star players, Dusty, Hawkins, Dangerfield, uh, Bont, Buddy. That They are really the teams of the competition. So uh, history says that they're the ones that are going to make it. The other six teams, just coincidentally, are six of the worst franchises in the league. And have had just a horrendous, horrendous time over the last 25 years. I mean, I'm looking at these names and going, okay, the Crows haven't won a flag in 25 years, haven't played finals in five years. Gold Coast have never played in the finals, obviously never won a grand final. The Saints have won one final in the last 10 years and haven't won a flag in 60 plus years. The Dons haven't won a final since 2004. Fremantle have never won a flag and then there's the Blues and they're a completely different category of just hopelessness. They're the only team in the league that is bad when they've got the best players in the league, the worst players, transitionary, getting the best free agents, getting the worst free agent. It just, they can never, ever put it together. So 
there's six teams there that have a really have had a tough time over the last 25 years. So it is interesting because this time last year, nine rounds in, Collingwood were four and five. Four and five. They were uh, just a, a run-of-the-mill team with a new coach trying to get their, their feet wet and get into the season, and they went on an 11-game winning streak. And I just feel like right now, you know, there's that, that great saying, the best time to invest was 10 years ago, the second best time is today. Some team has got to go on their run. They might not have been successful yet. They might not have had it all go well for them. But now is the time to go on your run. I'm looking at some of these teams and going, geez, you are so prime. You are so prime for a run. So what I wanted to do to start this off is I wanted to rank these 10 teams, the four successful ones with the six unsuccessful, and give you my ladder prediction, end of season, five through 14. Who's in, who's out? First team, 14, out. Essendon. Unfortunately, unfortunately for Essendon, they just have too many players who I think are still in that early stage of development. Baldwin, Menzi, Perkins, Martin, Durham, Davey Jr., a lot of young guys who are still working their way through. They've got a really good team. They give a lot of effort every week, but they just don't have the class to match up with a few of the other teams on this list. So I've got Essendon at 14. At 13, Sydney. Now, you might that might come as a surprise. They made the grand final last year, but we know that history tells us grand finalists that lose don't come back the same the next season. They have a delayed preseason. Sydney was also a young team that went on a hot streak, I believe, to get to the grand final. And sometimes those young teams, they don't have that discipline to bounce back and get back to work the next season and go about it. They're also missing three of their most important players in the McCartan brothers and Dane Rampey, who were integral in them being a really good team last year. So, you know, you roll those things together and go, geez, they can't win at home at the moment. They're not winning away. They can't string a good game together. They're getting blown out of games. I've got Sydney at 13. At 12, the Blues. Unfortunately, even though they've got all these great plays and they got the two key forwards and they got the Brownlow medalists and they've got the number one picks everywhere, their game plan plays them too wide. They don't take enough risks and they do not hit enough targets going inside 50. One of the reasons for that, I think, is because they've become a little bit predictable. They said, oh, we've got two big forwards. They're the only two guys and they don't work too well together inside 50. So they bring one out, they put one in, and then you can kind of just put one guy behind the ball and you can easily stop their flow. I think they need to the Blues really need to see other people kicking big bags of goals or or at least contributing on the scoreboard because it's just too predictable now and the Blues can't score. At 11, the Saints. Now, I really liked where the Saints are at. I think they've got a really good emerging list, but they don't have any stars. They don't have any X factor. I think that as injuries climb, they don't have guys that can really go out there and win them games. I think they're well coached. I think they're well put together. But with a with a bit of an injury list that's building now, I just don't know if they've got that X factor in them to go and win big games at the back end of the season and compete in, in, in September. So that's why I think the Saints will be good. I think they'll be up there, but I've got them at 11. At 10, the Tigers. Tigers, 
have won some big games and we like it when Dusty comes to play. He likes to come to play when the lights are on, it's Friday night and they're playing the Cats. He's not as interested when they're playing uh, the Crows on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, it's being played at Marvel. It's just, you know, he's a big game player and he's come to play the last couple of weeks. So I hope for Richmond supporters he continues on that in that vein. But they still have a lot of injuries. They still have a, real, a list that, you know, their bottom six players can go and have good games or they can be the worst players in the league. You know, there's there's that real mix there. We don't know. I, I, I think it's not the team that won the last three flags. They've got too much transition in their list and too many younger guys, whether it's the Judson Clarks or the Ralph Smiths or the Mansells or the Sampson Ryans. They're not finals type guys, in my opinion. So it would take a monster effort from the Tarantos and the and, and Dusty to really will this team into the finals. And their backline's well set up, and I think they set up well defensively. So they're never out of games, but I just don't think they're going to win as many games as some of the teams I've got above them. At nine, just missing the finals, I've got Fremantle. I think they've started to get their mojo back. So sometimes it, it, you don't just, you know, you don't just get it day one. And I think that they've had to restructure their team a little bit. They've added Jackson into the fold. He's a different type guy. Him and Darcy have had to work out how they work and play together. The last couple of weeks, it started to really work for them. And I think that they're starting to build. They were such a good team last year. And I, I, I couldn't believe that they were falling off so much this season. I think they've started to get their mojo back. It might be a little bit late. I love their defensive setup. I mean, I like Cox. I like Ryan. I like Pierce. I think they're they're well set up behind the ball. It's just the transition of the ball is sometimes a bit too slow. It's a little bit too kick mark. They probably don't take enough risks with the ball in hand. I've got them just missing the eight. At eight, playing in the finals this year, the Gold Coast Suns. I love what they've done with their list. I love their team. I, I love how they play. They've got a rock-solid midfield. You think I, – I watched them play against Melbourne two weeks ago, watched the whole game. In the middle of the game, I'm going, oh, this Gold Coast midfield is tearing Melbourne up. <laughs> and this is a midfield that has Oliver, Viney, Petrarca, two of the best rucks in the league, and Gold Coast are winning. Wits, Raul, Ando, Took's not even playing at the moment. It's just – it's a very dangerous team. Their back line is strong. They've got a good core. They've got two big – Two bigs in Ballard and Collins. Will Powell's using the ball well off halfback, and I love what he's doing. They take risks with the ball. They get it inside 50. Raul this week was just lining Ben King up going inside 50. And, you know, if they've got Chol going and he's got that X factor and Rosas has that X factor, this is going to be a very hard team to beat in the back end of the year. And I hope they hold on and I hope their fitness is up for it because I really do think that they can make a splash in 2023. At seven, I've got the Dogs. The Dogs have a lot of really good players. And not just, you know, really good, but we're talking all Australian-type players. McRae, Bont, Libba, these guys, Norton. They, they really are A-grade players of the competition. The one key issue that the Dogs have at the moment is they don't kick very straight. Their key forwards don't kick straight. Ugal Hagen and Norton, they, they're, they miss a lot of shots. So I don't know. I think they make it to September. But I don't know if they win many games because you have to take your chances when you're playing teams like Collingwood and Brisbane, that's for sure. At seven, I've got the Cats. Now, 
I don't like their run. That's for sure. Their next, they've got traveling to Freo, traveling to Port, traveling to Sydney, dogs at Marvel, Melbourne at GMHBA, all in the next six weeks. So I don't like the Cats run, but they play a lot of backhanded games uh, in Geelong, and we know that they are win. It's they're so hard to beat down there, and they've got the class, they've got the talent, they've been there, they've done that. They've got a lot of leaders, you know, Hawkins and Cameron and stuff. They don't let the team fall away. So, yeah, Dangerfield will be back soon. I'm a bit worried about their midfield, but Dangerfield will be back soon. I've got the the Cats at seven. Uh, Sorry, Cats at six. And at five, coming for the AFL Premiership this year, I've got the Crows. They have just been electric to start the year. They've put up at least 23 or 24 scoring shots in every single game. They've got a bottom six schedule, which means they're playing easy beat teams and they're going to, against good teams this year, they have really put them to the sword. Freo, Port, the Blues, the Saints, all teams in that block of of, of uh, teams that they're going to be competing against, they have beaten them. So I just think that the Crows with the deadliest forward line in the league at the moment are going to be playing in September. I've got them at five. That's my list. I'll go over it again. Crows, Cats, Dogs, Suns in the eight. Fremantle, Tigers, Saints, Blues, Sydney, Dons will not be playing in September. That's my ladder rankings. After the break, I'll get into the game reviews. Welcome back to the show. Love having you in on a Tuesday, ready to recap nine games. Man, this is just so much fun. I mean, I, I love the nine games this week. I I hope someone goes on a run from here like Collingwood did last year. How good would it be to have another team go on a, a nine, 10 win run, 11 win run to finish the season? They're just, it, it just made last year's you know, whole football experience so much more fun. And Collingwood are now box office. They're the team that gets all the primetime games. They're the team that everyone wants to watch every week. It's just, it's better for the game when we have teams do something like that. So I hope someone steps up and does that. First game of the round, Tigers versus the Cats. This was Richmond's best four-quarter performance of the year so far. And like I said earlier, how much better is footy when Dusty's on? He just he just loves playing in the bigger games. It's it's what he's built for. He, he loves it. And he's come to play a couple of weeks in a row. And <laughs> one of the best things that has that has happened for a lot of good teams this year is getting an easy kill against a Hawthorne or a West Coast just to shape, you know, sharpen you up a little bit. A lot of te- Geelong were playing badly. They had an easy kill against Hawthorne, smashed them in the second half. Bang, their season starts. Richmond having a couple of bad weeks, come up against West Coast. Oh, you know what? We'll just crush them in the second half and really get our season going. So, you know, these these teams that are that are at the bottom, they're just great as that outlet. Oh, we need a breather and we just need a, you know, a tune-up game just to belt the absolute living crap out of a team. And um, Richmond have just taken that and they've run with it, which has been really good. I I'm a little bit concerned about Geelong's midfield. No Dangerfield, no Guthrie. It's very light on. Guys like Parfit and Holmes and Atkins, they don't have any X factor. They're very run-of-the-mill type guys. I like Holmes and he'll build into a good player. But right now, he's not winning them games of football. And if you come up against a team that has Prestia, Martin, Taranto, Shai Bolton going through there, you're in a lot of trouble early. So 
you know, Stanley also didn't play. So Geelong have got a lot of outs at the moment and, you know, you can see how they could lose a game like this with that many outs. But another issue I think that Geelong has is that Hawkins is getting a bit older and because of that, his movement is a bit less and they're leaving him as the deeper forward in a lot of situations and saying to Jezza, you move up the ground, you kind of get up and down the wings and get the ball and bring it in and, you know, he's one of the best players in the competition. Jeremy Cameron can can do as he likes and win as much ball as he wants. But is that the best thing for them to win games of football? We've seen games where Jez has kicked six or seven goals this year where he's kind of been moving out of the square and going back towards goal, and that's when he's really dangerous, when he's coming out of full forward and, he's, and his movement is really hard to stop because he leads back and forward. He's got great leading patterns. And I just sometimes think or, or thought on the weekend, sitting Hawkins in the square and having Dan- and having Cameron out so far is kind of something that maybe Geelong are missing a trick there and maybe they need to figure out a way to move Hawkins up the ground for portions of the game a little bit to give Jezza a bit of a paddock to work in because we just know how dangerous he is when he does have it. Um, and and I, I think that that kind of thing where you've got an old Hall of Fame type player like Tom Hawkins in your team and you're not, you know, no one's kicking Hawkins out of the team. It's the same with guys like Buddy and, and Fife. No one's kicking you out of the team. You're greats of the game. But it is, you know, you are limited sometimes because they become limited as players as they age. And, you know, I think most clubs are happy to accept that they're going to play with, you know, kind of a a guy that's maybe not as good as he used to be but still can provide flashes. But it does kind of limit you a little bit, and I think Geelong are feeling that a little bit at the moment. Um, Again, I'm going to say this again. I really like the game of Samson Ryan, the Ruckman for Richmond. I think he's really starting to put together a – Solid, solid campaign with Nankervis out. I think it's it's been awesome. Dan Rioli is still one of the best players coming off halfback in the league. And I just wanted to mention Dan Rioli because I haven't mentioned him on the podcast yet. I think he is such a good player. He's such a good ball user. He can hit the scoreboard. He runs all day. So just a shout out to Dan Rioli because he's had a really good season so far. And I thought I'd just mention him. Let's get into West Coast Gold Coast. Another Awesome game. Loved. I actually love this game. I mean, it just showed off how good Gold Coast are and how good some of their players are. <laughs> Matthew Rowell had 28 touches, 17 tackles. He kicked a goal, I think. He's, he's put three or four balls on Ben King's chest going inside 50 on the lead. He was just excellent all game. Wits had 50 hitouts, so completely destroyed Bailey Williams in the ruck. Dominated the game. Charlie Ballard had 10 intercept marks. There has only been six players all time that have had 10 intercept marks in a game, and they're all they're all Australians. Alir Alir, Stephen May, Tom Stewart, they're the type of caliber player that get 10 intercept marks in a game. And on top of that, Charlie Ballard's playing on someone. He's playing on Oscar Allen. He's playing on Jack Darling. So... You know, just a, an absolute beautiful game by Charlie Ballard. He had nine—he uh, had nine spoils as well. So not only was he taking intercept marks, but he was making the right decisions as well. Okay, I'll mark this. I'll spoil this because you know sometimes you need to make those decisions, and he's made it perfectly. Ben Kings had seven shots on goal. He 
He needs to clean it up a little bit. But seven shots on goal for Ben King is a very good effort. It means that he's getting the ball. It means that Gold Coast are giving him good opportunities. So I just love how Gold Coast are looking. Their spine's looking great. They've got the Collins-Ballard thing going on down back. Their forward line's got a bit of X factor about it. Uh, I wanted to mention Jimby, the young young bloke for, for West Coast. He's had 16 tackles. Him and Rao, 17 and 16 tackles, just two young bulls going at it. We're going to see that for a long time to come. So I did want to mention that. And as for West Coast, well, you've lost 32 of your last 35 games. Your most, your brightest player so far this season, Jermaine Jones, in my opinion, has gone and got subbed and injured. Darling's broken his arm during the game. And these are the types of guys that you've got out in the puck. So just for all of us as AFL fans, because I think a lot of people don't watch many West Coast games here in Melbourne, these are the types of guys they're fielding every week. Harry Edwards, Callum Jameson, Brady Hoff, Luke Edwards. There's two Edwards, Harry and Luke Edwards. Connor West, Xavier O'Neill, Greg Clark, Josh Rotham, Luke Foley, these are nothing players. These are nothing players. We, we don't know these guys. They haven't contributed. They're not high draft picks. They're just roster guys that have had to start playing because of the injury list over at West Coast and also because West Coast haven't developed many good players recently. They haven't been to the draft. They haven't been down there. So I think there's a lot of issues with West Coast at the moment and they're not getting any easier as their injury list gets bigger and they're, you know, these guys that they're pulling off the street have got to come in and play against a team like Gold Coast who are just going to punish them, and they did. Sydney Freo. Well, I mean, it, Freo have arrived a little bit, I think. They, they really have arrived. Luke Jackson and Sean Darcy are really working together well. They both had massive games. I think Sean Darcy was one of the highest-rated players of the week where Luke Jackson's had three goals and 19 touches to back up his 24 24- touches and two goals last week. So they're really starting to flow in that midfield. We know that Brayshaw's a good player. We know that Sarong is a good player and he's in career best form this season. Whether Will Brody can come in and start helping out and whether their forward line can start to develop into something that's going to be dangerous because they've got a lot of good smalls. I love Lockie Schultz. He was someone that I wanted Hawthorne to go and get as a Hawthorne supporter at the, at the end of last year. I thought that he's the, he's like a Luke Bruce 2.0. He's tough. He gets to the right spots. He can win one-on-one marking contests. He's savvy around goals. I really like Lockie Schultz's game, and he's kicked four goals on the weekend and really brought it all together. Again, Sydney missing the McCartans and the Rampies. It's tough for them at the moment. They've got this kind of young, you know, developing good list, but they're just struggling to put it together. But one thing I will say is Goulden had – 40 touches on halfback last week. They moved him a little bit further up the ground. He's had 39 and kicked two this week. So I think they made the right adjustment. We know Longmire's a good coach. We know that he's going to make the right adjustments. And this was a competitive game. This wasn't, oh, one team's bad. Both teams were going at it all game. And and one of the better games of the round. And, uh, yeah, I think moving Goulden forward was a was a good move. But Freer are on a roll, and I'm excited to see what they can do from here. North versus Port. Look, North stayed with them for a quarter and a half. It was it was close-ish, but yeah, the injury lists keep building. LDU does a hamstring. Perez got injured. Marnie got injured. Tucker got injured. Kaur's been suspended for striking. They don't have anywhere near a good enough list to lose four or five guys in the middle of a game. 
They couldn't string together, North couldn't string together any sort of reasonably, you know, promising ball movement through the middle of the ground, basically at all, especially in the second half and in, in the back half of the second quarter. I, I didn't I didn't think Port were amazing, but against a team like North Melbourne who are so pathetic at the moment, you know, they just needed to get the win on the board. Butters was good. Rosie was good. Finlayson kicked 3-5. Um, yeah, it was, it was – the game was over early. It wasn't the greatest game of all time. Um, I will just shout out Tom Jonas, the captain of Port, for kicking his second ever goal. Uh, I just thought that was pretty great. He's played, you know, 100-plus games of footy and he's uh, been a warrior for the Port Adelaide Football Club. So to kick his second goal, congratulations. Demons Hawks. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my first note here is good teams force bad teams to play wide. They suck you into it. They give you that easy option, that 15-meter sidekick. You take it and they close down the space. I didn't think that this was an overly dominant game by the Ds, but then you look at the stats at the end and go, Oliver's had 34 and a goal. Viney's had 31 and a goal. Petrarca's had 30 and, and two behind. Their midfield was really rolling, especially early in the game. Hawthorne were falling for a lot of things that Melbourne wanted them to do. They wanted them to play wide. They wanted them to take kicks and, and, and try and beat them with, you know, these kind of cutting kicks that go 40 metres and slice through the opponents. They just, they weren't there. And for a team like Hawthorne, they need to take a bit more onus to run and carry. And if you make mistakes running and carrying the ball, I think that's okay as a young team. You want to do that. You want to bring the ball into the corridor, get some handball chains going, because then at least you have the opportunity to get the ball into your forward line and give yourself a one-on-one matchup or a two-on-two matchup. The problem is when you play Melbourne and you go slow, Gorn rolls behind the ball. Stephen May is one of the best intercept defenders of the last 10 years. Jake Lever is one of the best intercept defenders of the last 10 years. They've got a lot of really good aerial assault from that defensive half. And if you just kind of decide, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to uh, maybe kick it down the line and hope for the best when you've got your options as Lloyd Meek and Jake Kaczynski, you're just in, you're in nothing land. So, you know, and Melbourne hit targets inside 50, five, five to 21 in terms of marks inside 50 for the game. If I was, if I was Mitchell, and Hawthorne are putting up these low scores, 49, 48, 50 points a game. I'd be putting $5,000 in a briefcase, hanging it in the middle of the change rooms and going, the first player, win, no media, they don't have to hear about this. The first five players, the first player to kick five goals in a game gets the $5,000. Put some, Do something different. Incentivize the players somehow. Because right now, Hawthorne players don't want to kick goals. Everyone's kind of trying to do the team thing. And it's like... Watch the best players. They take it on. They break a tackle. They look to goals. They have a shot. That's that's You watch Nick Dacos do it. You watch Dusty do it. You watch Bond do it. They want to kick goals. They want to win the game for their team. Hawthorne players need to take the onus on themselves and just, you know, have a crack. Um, Let's go to a break. After On the other side, I'm going to review the last four games of the round. Welcome back to the show. Got four more games to cover. Always want to appreciate my listeners. Thanks for listening. The show is built for you. Hope you're enjoying the way I'm putting the podcast together because, you know, it is a lot of fun. Um, and, yeah, there's just been some awesome games. And the next one was was interesting as well, Lions versus Bombers. So 
Uh, Joey Danaher, six goals, one, completely tore Zerk Thatcher a new one. We've seen that Zerk Thatcher has kind of been exposed against premium forwards a little bit this season. We saw Hawkins take him to the cleaners as well. He's learning. It's a young experience. I still think Essendon, they're a good team and they really are an honest team. They perform well over all four quarters. They don't really fall out of games. Um, This was one where they got overpowered a little bit. It was was really the third quarter where I think Brisbane had about 17 more inside 50s than they did. They ended up having 31, 31 more inside 50s for the game. No parish hurts them. Merritt is a great link player. He's very Tom Mitchell-esque. He gets around the ground. He, you know, he he gets a lot of kind of in-between possessions to, to link playing and connect up the forwards and the backs. Whereas Parrish is a really good clearance player. He gets a lot of the ball inside. He's able to burst out of contests and give you that first look inside 50. And to not have him play, I think for a team like Essendon that's still coming up and still kind of developing. They lose a player like that and it really does hurt them because Parrish has had a really good season so far. But, you know, you play a team like Brisbane and a sign of a good team, they had 75% of ball inside 50 in the third and fourth quarter. That really shows you that, you know, they really know how to take the ball away from you and, and, and put that into scoring position. And they had a lot of different avenues to goal, and that's one of the reasons Brisbane are one of the best teams in the comp. If Rayner doesn't get you, Hitwood gets you, or Danaher, or Cameron, or Zach Bailey, or Zorko, they've just got so many avenues to goal. And, I, I, yeah, I, my notes here just say Lions too classy. Bombers will come back and play well next week because they're showing a little bit. But, yeah, I, I, I'm super excited for next week's game, Lions versus Suns. Q clash, going to be an absolute ripper. Um, I hope the Suns come to play because we know the Lions will. Next game on the schedule was one of the funnier games of the round, Western Bulldogs versus the Blues. Um, Just a first half that we could just cross out, throw it out out of the record books. It was pretty gross for both supporter bases. Blues kicked one goal, Dogs kicked four. Blues couldn't move the ball. When they tried to move the ball, they turned it over. You know, just just emblematic of their team was Blake Akers had, I think, eight kicks in the first half and every one of them was ineffective. <laughs> just a, just a, you know, whereas you go to a team like back at, for Essendon, I just wanted to mention, I'll go back a step. Redmond had 30 touches for the game and 29 were effective. So that guy that's, that's moving the ball for Essendon, he's moving the ball well. So there's signs there. Whereas you go to the Blues – Blake Akers, they brought him to the club. He's this big new thing. Eight ineffective kicks to start the game in a row. Just, oh, for the for the fans, it's just, you know, they want to take their member. If they had physical memberships, you would be putting in the microwave if you were a blue supporter this week. I really did like Anthony Scott's game. And just for Blues fans, there's a little bit of hope. I really like Matt Owies' game as well. And you need guys like Matt Owies. And as much as Carlton fans bag Matt Owies, which I know they do do, you need more avenues to goal. It can't just be Kerno and and Mackay. It ha- there has to be other ways. It needs to be Silvani that kicks three or four goals in a game, or Owies, or Durden. It, it, these are the types of guys that need to get involved. Motlop needs to kick two or three goals every week. You need to have extra ways to score because if you become predictable, teams can game plan you out, and good teams do do it. 
The dogs flooded back. They filled the holes. It was hard. There were no leading lanes for Kerner. There were no leading lanes for Mackay. And then it looks like the, the midfielders of, uh, who were kicking the ball at him go, oh, he's, he's a terrible kick of the footy. Oh, he's missed him. He's, you know, he's, he's this and that. They're not kicking the ball well inside 50. Maybe it's because you're a bit predictable. Maybe you need to mix things up a little bit, Carlton. Uh, my other notes, Bont and Libra were awesome as usual. They just kill teams. They, they are two premium midfielders of the competition, two top 10 guys uh, in inside, both in All-Australian form right now. My other note is, God, if Ugle Hagen and Norton can't kick straight, the dogs will not go anywhere in 2023. I, I just from watching games, I felt like they, geez, they don't kick many goals. They kick a lot of behinds. So I went and searched it up. Both of them are top five in the league in behinds kick this season with 14 each. That needs to change because, again, you play a team like Brisbane, you play a team like Melbourne, you play a team like Collingwood, they will slaughter you if you don't take your chances. And you can't put up 75 points like you did against the Blues and expect to win the game against Collingwood. I can guarantee you that now. So the Dogs need to go down to uh, Wittenoval. I don't think they're at Wittenoval because it's uh, under repair. Or maybe they are. But they need to be having 50 shots a day, 100 shots a day, working on it, getting specialists in there. I don't know what they need to do, but... They need to fix it because if they're kicking like they are now, they will not win games in September for sure. Okay, next game, Crows and the Saints. Okay, the Crows are a really good football team and people are sleeping on them heavily. They've got players that are coming through like Michael Laney, Pedler, Parnell took mark of the week for sure, if not one of the marks of the year. This week was an absolute ripper. They're getting really, really good minutes out of dudes in their bottom six players. And when that happens, geez, your team looks good. These are the scores that they've kicked when they play badly. 7-16, eleven 10-16, 12-18 against Pies, Hawks, Tigers, and Giants. So every time they played a bad game, they've kicked double-digit, Behinds. So really, it's just a goal-kicking thing. It's just sharpening up inside 50, and they've got so many weapons in there that, you know, sometimes maybe they get a bit overzealous sometimes, but they'll clean that up. In teams where they've kicked straight, they've dominated. They've smoked teams out. In this particular game, Brody Smith went nuts in the first half. He had 18 touches. He kicked a goal. They just let him run away. And, and, and look, Brody Smith probably isn't what he was two to three years ago. But he's a very good ball user, and if you're going to let him run free off halfback, you're going to get destroyed. Tex took uh, Cal Wilkie to the cleaners. That's what I got in my notes. Just a really comprehensive performance. The Saints look – they look well coached. They've got an okay defense. They've got a, a different defensive structure. But when the ball's coming in hard and fast and you've got Rankin and you've got Fogarty and you've got Tex and you've got you know all these different options and they've got more to come back in as well – it, it's going to be a hard task to, to to beat the Crows this season. That's it. It's going to be a hard task to beat them. My note here is they're going to win a lot of games. They've had 12 goal kickers in this game as well. Just a comprehensive performance by the Crows, and we will see them in September. That is one thing I can assure you. Last game of the round to cover, one of my favorite games to watch as well, Pies versus Giants. I just want to say... The Pies have got it right. 
before the game on Mother's Day. They bring the mothers in. They give them flowers. They have McCreary's mum do a little speech to pump them up. And they it's it's gone from being this club that was a little bit fractured, a little bit, I don't know, an annoying club. They had these kind of alphas like Buckley and Malthouse and it was – you know, a little bit of a boys' club, Eddie Maguire, to being this super inclusive club. They've got the right coach at the helm. Moore is one of the best captains in the league. And and, and in a week's time, I'm going to cover it. I'm going to do the five best captains in the week, and you can guarantee Moore's going to be on there. I just think that they do it really well. Their best players every week change, which is good. It's really good. They have a healthy list of guys that perform Mason Cox has had his best game as a pro. He's had 19 touches, nine marks, two goals. He moved well getting behind the ball and taking marks and moving forward with the ball and, 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 and kicking goals. He's had 25 taps. Again, Nick Dacos not tagged, 41 touches. Don't know why he doesn't get tagged. I'll say it every week on the podcast until, until these coaches figure it out. You cannot let Nick Dacos run around and get 41 touches. You'll get killed. Jordan Ngoi is one of the most underpaid players in the competition as well. The whole Bali thing, the videos, the girls, the drinks, all of that, all that just meant was Collingwood got him on a discount and he is in all Australian form. He's He had 20 touches and a goal in the first half. He shredded GWS. He's so aggressive coming out of the contest. He's so aggressive in moving forward and, and, and putting the ball into the right places for Ash Johnson and Mychek and Jamie Elliott. It's just, he's just in ripping form and they got him on a discount. He should be getting paid a million dollars a year and he's getting paid 750, 800, 850, something like that. The Aiden Court at North Melbourne, who's punching guys behind the ball, is getting paid $700,000 a season. So to get to Goey for $750,000, is just an absolute steal. My other notes here is the fact that they went on that nine, that 11-game win streak last year meant that they could build out this culture and go where a football club you want to be at. And that's brought Tom Mitchell to the club. That's brought Bobby Hill to the club, who was electric on the weekend. That's meant that guys like, you know, Nathan Murphy and Ash Johnson in this inclusive environment can go out and just play their role and just do what they do well and they can succeed. So I think Collingwood have just got it down, Pat. From a GWS point of view, it was a bit of a disappointing performance. I liked Lockie Ash's game. He had 30 touches and a goal. I like Finn Callahan's game. He had one of his his brightest games as a, as a pro so far. So well done, Finn. And I also liked, it because he showed some flashes, the young guy in his fourth game, Ryan Angwin. So few few nice things for GWS there. They really needed to take their chances in the second quarter. That's when the game was a little bit closer. It was 20, 25 points, and they missed shot on shot on goal. They missed three or four shots in a row, and Collingwood capitalized on it, took the game away from them in the second half, and that's all she wrote. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. All nine games covered. I'll go back and tell you who I've got. Crows, Cats, Dogs, Suns, they make in the eight. Fremantle, Tigers, Saints, Blues, Sydney, Dons will not be there in September. Themes by Kevin McLeod. Everything produced by Perm. Thanks, every, thanks a lot. All the logo art's done by Ryan. I will see you guys next week. That's a great idea, Cato.